Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Our healthcare episode today features a world-class, people-first hospital operation, St. Jude Medical Center in Southern California, which is part of the Providence Network. Today, I'm joined by their CEO, Brian Helleland, and their Director of Care Experience, Marianne Perez. I'll be highlighting the ways they've built a highly engaged culture, especially how they've built a culture of pride. St. Jude is known to be a place where employees are proud to work. You're about to get inspired. Here we go. Brian and Mary, man, I'm so excited to have you on Gut Plus Science, our healthcare sub-series today, and just really fascinated by some of the conversations we've had around you and the, the culture that you've built at St. Jude and this pride, this vibration of pride, this, this, this uh, aura, you know, and really you've got, you know, claimed this as St. Jude pride and there's so much behind it. And I'm like, you know, this is a very unique topic for the show. And I think any leader would want to know, how do I build a workplace where my employees are proud to go to work. So we're going to dive into that today. And I think to level set, just to get everybody on the same page with what we're talking about here, when you think company pride or employees who take pride in the work that they do, like, how do you define that? Thanks, Nikki. I, I think it's it's interesting, you know, just the word define. We actually don't ever really try to define it. We keep it undefined on purpose and, and just know when we see it. I think that's going to resonate with people that you may not define it, but some of the things I say is it's it's not about ownership, it's about pride. You know, when I talk to talk to new staff, talk to staff, I say, you know, we've all worked for people that tell you you've got to take more ownership in what you do, and that's not what we're about. You know, if we can generate that pride, that ownership really takes takes care of it. We influence, you know, leaders. We can't define it, we can't we can't dictate it, but we definitely can influence it. So we talk about what it does it look like, not necessarily how we define it. Awesome. And I'll let Marianne chime in on what does it look like? If you were to you know, give some examples or maybe tell a story, illustrate what it looks like at St. Jude. I think one of the ways that I see it is actually new higher orientation. I've had the privilege of being a part of orientation for several years. And you can see those new caregivers who are sitting on the edge of their seat that are so excited to be part of the St. Jude family. And I think one of the words that I use an awful lot in orientation is opportunity. And it's the opportunities that are available to them. Um, Brian talks about this culture of abundance, and it's about having abundant opportunities for each individual so that they can be part of the St. Jude family and see themselves in the work that we're doing. Thank you for that. And Brian, you mentioned influence. And I think, you know, today there's so many books out right now. It's a very hot topic like leadership influence. So I'd love for you to talk about, you know, what does that look like and how you lead your leaders to influence your people? Talk a little bit and expand on what influence looks like at St. Jude. I start with, you know, kind of a a concept to, to get them thinking of that they can influence is how do we make the intangible tangible? You know, culture. There's no great leader out there that doesn't want a great culture or don't think that they focus on people. Uh, but but really, how do you make it tactical? How do you make it tangible? So that's where we start is let's acknowledge that there's intangible parts of this, but our job as leaders is to make it tangible. And that tangibility is, you know, starts with influence. You know, so we structure, uh, we have a lot of focused, dedicated structure. 
Uh, we, we have caregiver committees. We've got shared governments. Uh, we've created a leadership cube that's got leadership, uh, our 15 parts of leadership philosophy that our executive leadership team has committed to. You know, so that, that structure that's consistent, one of the things that I think influences culture also is the language that we use. We just recently had a magnet survey and, and what they focused on so much was the language. Everybody we talk to talks the same language, whether it was your physicians or your staff. So those are all forms of influence. And then we're, as you started off the podcast, we're not shy about talking about hashtag St. Jude Pride or the St. Jude Pride campaign. We're transparent about it. We're not trying to manipulate or trick anybody that we're, we're creating this, this culture to make people happy to be here. We want our staff to be part of generating the pride and that we're all building this pride together, not that we're trying to build it as leaders. So let's talk about like key behaviors fostered by having pride in, in the work that we do. And let's start with like what that looks like and how we show up at the bedside, like direct care providers. And when they walk in with pride and they show up that way for the work that they do, like how does that show up in, in just how patients and families are taken care of? I think it shows up in a couple, you know, traditional disciplined ways, you know, as far as how they present, you know, the smile, the service standards, you know, we'll probably get to some point, you know, today talking about our cultural compass, which has our service standards, our behavior expectations are in there. There is a customer service foundation to our overall pride campaign, um, but but it ultimately really translates into their comfort level of talking about what's great about St. Jude, whether it's our mission and what do we really do for our community, whether it's our outcomes and, and talking each other up uh, that, you know, whether it's talking up our great surgeons, those are all ways that it presents at the bedside. But one of the things that we, that we've really witnessed over the last couple years, or maybe even longer the four or five years is the patient experience is now really owned by our frontline caregivers. You know, it used to be, you know, it used to be a patient experience score that the executives or your leaders are trying to get to. It's a goal. And we've we've successfully kind of, especially in our, our clinical units and the nursing units, really seen the nurses are now realizing that to be a great nurse, it's not just they're clinically competent or they they provide great outcomes or they're they just have that clinical expertise. But they now believe that their experience and their interaction, that sacred encounter that they create with the patient, is a reflection of how great a nurse they are. And it's it's not a leadership expectation that it's a personal expectation. And uh, we talk about excellence starts with your own expectations of yourself, not what others' expectations of you are, including us as leaders. So I think that piece, you know, really translates. And when we get patient comments back. We'll, we'll get those in stores like, oh, my gosh, the, their nurse was so proud of working at St. Jude. They had such great stories. They couldn't say anything negative about it. We, we get those stories. Curious if you could elaborate on how you collect those stories, knowing that those direct care professionals really take pride in, in doing a great job and affecting that patient experience. How do you collect that feedback? And then how do you get it to that provider so that they can you know continue to be filled by that? you know, that feedback from the patient and the family. Thank you so much for that question, Nikki, because I think when sometimes when people talk about recognition, they think of, um, you know, very formalized programs or points or things of that nature. But I think recognition is really about those 
day-to-day moments that are occurring in the lives of our caregivers and allowing other caregivers to see and celebrate those moments. So we have some formal recognition program. We have an applause program, which actually generates about 1,000 to 1,400 per quarter of recognitions that come from patients and families. They go from caregiver to caregiver, from physicians. Um, In addition, we have an online recognition form where we receive recognitions again from caregiver to caregiver in addition to online stories. Um, Another mechanism we have in place is our daily huddles and our daily huddles um, occur every department every day and we highlight a different caregiver story. So, um, I mean, I had one last week that was from a radiology tech and she wanted to write it to one of our radiologists because she says every day in their department, when they have a need, that physician is there. He's fully present. He takes opportunity to be able to, to teach and to engage the techs and just what a wonderful partner he is. And so we can take that story and we can share that throughout the entire organization. So it fosters that partnership between um, the physician and his department, and it serves as a way to role model that recognition throughout the organization. I'll add a, I'll add a couple of things too, Nikki. We, we do uh, have perfect care stories, sacred encounter stories that we, that we tell in different forms, whether it's a board meeting, whether it's med exec, you know, pass those on sometimes the regional meetings. Uh, if I get a letter written to me from a patient, you know, I'll write a personal thank you note, you know, saying I received one and, and try to customize it as much as possible. So they know exactly what patient I'm talking about. You know, so we, we definitely, you know, try to make sure that they get there. And, and then it, you know, it feeds, you know, it ends up this, they want more, they want to continue to try to, to get those stories and those, those recognitions written about them. If I could just add to Brian talking about storytelling, how incredibly important that is, because I think before, you know, we've been on this culture journey for a while, and I know Brian's going to talk about that roadmap a little bit on how we got there. But, you know, we, we've we always, we've been a ministry, we've been here since 1957, and there are stories that our caregivers that have been here 45, 50 years have shared with us, and it, it is that power of story. But I think sometimes what had occurred previously before we had some of those formalized mechanisms in place is those stories would stay in those departments or they would stay in those divisions. And now we've really put into place a number of different communication venues and forums and leadership meetings to be able to really share them more broadly so that our maternity services isn't just hearing about their own division, they're hearing about something that happened in rehab and they're able to celebrate that and see themselves. And I think that's one of the subtle, intangible ways that we reinforce those behaviors that our ministry stands for. Such a great best practice. Thank you for sharing that. Brian, you mentioned the St. Jude Pride campaign. How did that come to be and kind of break down the key components under the campaign for us? You know, so that our overall journey, you know, and we refer to it about 10 years. And I'd say, you know, we, we definitely had structural, you know, foundational pieces, just being a well-run hospital, I would say, for the first five, six years. And when we felt comfortable that we were ready to, to pursue greater excellence and, and, and really had a story to tell for naysayers and to this, we wanted to start to build this cultural piece and this pride piece that we already had accomplishments and recognitions and we were doing things well. So that was about midway through. And about midway through, about year five, year six, we launched what we refer to as a culture palooza, uh, which was just a, a big celebration, but at the same time, a training session. It was 
four hours long. We've done a second one since. Uh, we try to do them every three years. But planning of that event, the Pride, hashtag St. Jude Pride, the St. Jude Pride campaign really ended up being uh, the theme of what we wanted the takeaway to be and how we wanted to really define ourselves. And uh, I actually went to our board at that time and said, I want our number one strategy to be caregiver engagement. Always reiterating that that never means that the patient's not at the center of what we do. But from a leadership strategy, we're going to work on caregiver engagement. So we rolled out all these T-shirts and, and we allowed people to wear pride shirts on Fridays. Uh, so it, it started to have a presence. We had, you know, a hashtag St. Jude Pride that people could send, you know, pictures to uh, wearing the T-shirts anywhere on vacation throughout the world. And those were posted in our breakaway lounge. Uh, they could send pictures of themselves and we would post them in different places. So the whole language of pride uh, and then just just using that terminology. And now it's been you know six years and our organization knows about it. I, I referenced our magnet survey last week or two weeks ago. And the surveyor asked us at the beginning of the survey, what one word do you think we're going to hear the most? And, you know, we're and they asked the 10 executives that were in the room. And at the end of the survey, they came back and told us who was the closest. <laughs> and the words were culture and pride were the two words that they heard the most uh, from everybody in the organization. And, you know, so it, it just is, it's it's a word that has just resonated. The other part that, that we really focus on is nominations, applications for national recognition in whatever service line, whatever, th- whether it's best place to work, whether it's our cardiac program, our neuro program, our ortho program, whether it's our ICU unit or our med surge unit, we encourage everybody to nominate their divisions, their departments. We obviously, you know, apply for those things as an organization and we don't do them for the same reason that most places do. We don't go market them uh, like crazy. You know, we have, but not to a major extent. We really use it inside the organization to feed the pride feed the participation. Our doctors are involved uh, like no other organization I've ever seen. So, and we use the term external validation. If we're going to ask you to work as hard as we ask you to work to pursue excellence and be in the top decile, be in the top quartile, we're going to show to you that it's, that it's working and we're going to not self-profess it. We're going to use external validation. How relevant that we chose the words pride and we're talking about the St. Jude culture for this podcast uh, in alignment with your survey results. That's pretty cool. So you'll have to share this with all your team and uh, make sure they give us some feedback on how we did today. All right. So illustrate how St. Jude pride has really, quote unquote, shown up this year. I think one of the ways St. Jude pride has shown up has been Um, looking at going through the COVID crisis and the incredible work of our caregivers. I I think even looking at how people represent that St. Jude Pride in their own social media posts. So, you know, going through all of this together, I saw a lot of stories from our own caregivers with, um, you know, photos maybe of a poster that a community member had left out um, in one of our parking areas and just, Every time the caregiver posts at the end of that, um, hashtag St. Jude Pride. And I think that really speaks to, it's not just the organization saying how important St. Jude Pride is, but our own caregivers 
recognizing it and feeling it themselves. So they don't feel like they can tell a story of St. Jude, of St. Jude without including hashtag St. Jude pride. We had one um, maternity patient that had had a baby, wasn't able to, um, she had her husband there, but wasn't able to have the rest of her family and her family put themselves up on the bridge that leads from the hospital campus across the street to one of our medical buildings. And they had created this giant banner that had said, congratulations to the the mom. And we knew you could do it. We love you. And so the nurse had taken pictures of this, um, what was occurring. And when she shared it on her social media, she added that St. Jude pride. And I think that's a way that our own caregivers recognize that's what St. Jude pride looks like. And how can we um, continue to promote it and realize that it's a part of who we are. I, I think I, one of the things it makes me think of is, you know, we, we talk so much about being supportive of our caregivers and being there uh, for them and doing everything op- absolutely possible to, to make this the best place to work. And COVID and the pride and the level of commitment, you, you know, I mean, it's everything that, that I think so many organizations and healthcare providers have experienced. It was unbelievable and something that we're never for, gonna forget. But Throughout the country, you saw a lot of you know contention between between administrations and medical staffs or administrations and staffing over the shortage of PPE and you know doing things that we'd never done before and having great plans and having the organization confident. What I ended up feeling out of that was so much love and support for us as leaders. I mean, I would we'd walk the hall and our caregivers are saying thank you to us, you know, as we're trying to say thank you to them and be supportive of them. And it, it really brought tears in my eyes several times that that level of support and that level of caring for us as leaders and and that we were all going through this together uh, was was really powerful so i think that part was cool we we did you know take advantage of of the the pandemic to to really rally ourselves and make sure that we stayed strong together make sure that we could work long hours we added to our shirts that we talked about and changed hashtag st jude pride to hashtag st jude strong uh, for that week. And, and I'm not a big person of giving fake answers when people ask, you know, how, how are you doing? I don't like it when people say great or good, if it's not real, you know, but I, we still want to be positive and give confidence. So I, my answer ended up being, you know, St. Jude strong, which the caregivers knew that things weren't great. You know, we were, we were going through what we needed to go through. And, uh, but at the same time, they, they had hope and confidence that we we as St. Jude, we're going to get through this together. You know, you guys mentioned the culture palooza inclusion of culture training. Give us some insight on what culture training looks like today at St. Jude. So um, culture training is actually, I, I think it's an important part of what we do because we don't, and I keep going back to that term tangible and intangible. Um, the daily huddle is actually one of our culture trainings that we do every day. So we focus on a different aspect of our cultural compass or mission, vision, values, or promise each day, and then connect a story from within the medical center with that actual cultural compass component. So for example, um, Brian talked about our magnet journey. We really connected that to excellence. So as we were preparing for that magnet journey each Monday, we had a magnet Monday where we would talk about excellence and highlight a particular um, story that connected to it, whether it was our clinical advancement program, tuition reimbursement, being able to be involved in our hospital um, infection prevention program, 
all of those different ways that we demonstrate excellence. So that really is a subtle yet not subtle way that we do training each and every day. And then um, Culture Palooza that we did in 2016 and 2019 also had a training component to it, but not in a way in that it's, you know, we want it to be interactive. We want it to be creative. And each of those, you know, the culture events that we've had, in addition to all of the things we do in, in between, we do those in partnership with our frontline caregivers. Those caregiver committee members help us to design those. And one of those questions that we ask them is, how do we make this event new, different, exciting? What have you seen outside of healthcare that you thought um, was fun to do? And we ask our caregivers to bring that energy and that creativity to those planning meetings so that they can be more than just a, a sit-down formalized training. I'll add a little bit maybe that gives a paints the picture a little bit for those culture palooza. So in 2016, the theme was actually a culture palooza, like a rock concert. So the t-shirts we designed that had that were connected to our cultural compass and our values and everything uh, were rock concert shirts. And then one of our sessions that when we, instead of asking all of our caregivers to role play doing the daily huddle because nobody likes to role play and they're embarrassed and, you know, it's 3,000 employees. We did it on stage with with sets of employees that we, we watched them do and lead a daily huddle. They did it well. So we had them on stage and we did it in a lip sync battle, you know, like the LL Cool J show. So there was two of them on stage and then we had the audience judge who did a better job. You know, so we tried to do fun with it. And then in our 2019, our education was done on stage, full props and everything set up for Family Feud. Uh, our executive teams were the hosts. And then we had teams that competed against each other, talking about different components, whether the service standards, the I pledge statements. You know, so we really try to bring those culture paloozas are they're not just these boring training sessions that our caregivers are required to go to for three hours. They want to come. They get T-shirts that they can wear on those Pride Fridays. There's a photo booth. There's themes. And the second one that I was talking about in 2019, we did that at a at the Brea Improv. So the theme was an improv. And so they, the improv did all the announcing for us. They did the music. They did all the lead-in, the, the exits. And it just was a blast. Lots of music. You just, you see people leaving with giving high fives to, to high energy music and just excited to go back to work and, and, and talking about great things about St. Jude. I think the other part of Culture Palooza that was fun connecting to the improv theme was um, we did these joke videos where our caregiver committee members rounded several different times, locations and recorded different um, staff members saying a joke. And so we use those as little commercial breaks in between um, each speaker. And I mean, people were rolling out of their chairs, not because the jokes were funny, but just being able to see their fellow caregivers, like I said, from all different shifts, um, delivering these really corny kind of dad jokes. Um, also, we did a video where we put together you know, because part of the St. Jude family and the St. Jude pride is learning from each other. And so we asked different departments to share some of their best practices. How does your team stay engaged? Um, how do you connect with each other outside of work? How do you celebrate each other? How do you communicate? How do you ensure that um, you welcome new caregivers to your department? 
And then we cut together a video of different departments highlighting some of their practices so that there were other departments that could learn from those. And that was something that was really great because not only did they get to see themselves or their fellow caregivers in those videos, but they really had a takeaway message with, hey, you know, I loved what the emergency department did with their, you know, intranet page. How could we do that for hours? And I thought that was another way of really, when you talk about culture training, making it something that was interactive, creative, and had a valuable takeaway for our caregivers. I think the, the advice that I would summarize with Nikki is, you know, when people do those types of training sessions, uh, and they end up being long if you're doing it with content, you know, two, three, four hours, whatever they are, is to really focus on what do the caregivers want to get out of it, not what do we want them to, you know, not what we want them as leaders to get out of it. Because the content can be so long if we focus on everything we want to share. So we stay super high level. We plan three deliverables. What are the three simple takeaways that we want to be taken away? Make sure that those are repeated and taken away. And then we take on the responsibility ourselves as leaders that, you know, we've got the whole next 12 months, you know, using our daily huddles, using our other weekly, daily, monthly tools and structures that we have that we do the rest of the training. Uh, and that, that helps. And if you can, as a leader, if you can accept that, that the takeaways may be short and few, but they're powerful, as opposed to trying to train them everything, uh, you'll have a lot more success with the just the enthusiasm and, and the excitement that the staff have going to those events. It's obvious that there's so much to be proud of in your leadership work. Uh, what cultural initiatives do you feel most proud of and you feel like have make, made the strongest impact in your time in leading at St. Jude? I'll start with, you know, the, just the intentional roadmap, you know, so having that, that vision, we break it out into five phases. I won't elaborate into to where they are, but the culture part was, was phase four. So we had a roadmap, we had a plan. So that was the, the umbrella initiative in and of itself. Going through Magnet on excellence was, was a huge part of it, you know, from a nursing perspective. Uh, our physician engagement uh, was a, a step in there and, and getting them very involved, restructuring them as well as far as getting their participation and getting them excited. Uh, but then specifically, you know, the recognition program, we have our applause program. Uh, we have, you know, we use technology as well. We, we can very quickly do 20, 30 second success factors inside of our uh, HR system, our employee evaluation, so caregivers can recognize each other. And then, you know, as we really focused on the culture part, the Culture Palooza events that we've already talked about were a huge initiative. But the leadership philosophy, I would say, you know, we worked with our executive leadership team. And then our directors and managers, which we refer to as our leadership team as well. So we're an extension of each other and one team to keep it a we, that we had a leadership philosophy. We had to have our leadership culture where we wanted it to be before we could effectively influence the organizational culture. So uh, that effort uh, it was huge. And then at the executive level, we did that leadership cube and I did a retreat uh, we've done it a couple of times. We've tweaked it, but we had those 15 principles, uh, leadership philosophy principles that we've all agreed to. And the language that's inside of there for us is, as, uh, as caregivers and authentic connections as a category. So underneath that section, it's choice and voice, knowing you radically caregiver centric is a term. What does it mean to 
you know, just when we think we're being creative enough, we need to spend another hour being more creative because everybody's working on this. So how do you really, what does it look like to be the best? What does it look like to be in the top 10%? Those would be some of the specific initiatives, I think, that that we really did. Uh, and then the, the, the component of the cultural compass that's very foundational, it's a little bit more traditional. I think it's always good to balance some of that traditional toolkit with you know, a creative, crazy toolkit. Um, and on the crazy side, we've got the embrace the fun. We had to do a lot of work with that. You know, healthcare, we work in a hospital. It's a very serious environment. You know, when we do fun things, how do we make sure we have caregivers that don't feel guilty that we're having fun while there's very serious, you know, patient care issues going on in our organization? You know, and I I think one of the other initiatives, you know, that's a little bit broader is how do we engage our family? How do we connect that that language? So our motto is our family caring for your family. So anything we do throughout the all the years, we try to have some sort of connection. So one of our T-shirts that we asked for the Culture Palooza was tell everybody to write their write a story. Uh, And if you write a story about your St. Jude story, what brought you to St. Jude? What do you love about St. Jude? They got a T-shirt that said one family, many stories on the back. And then on the front, it's hashtag St. Jude Pride and, and, and they can wear it, you know, on, on Fridays. And that only went out to people who submitted those stories. So just that, that constant use and playing with the language. So anything we do, and I think, you know, for a lot of the leaders that may be listening, it, you know, every, you know, we all have known what it takes. It's, it's the flavor of the day, you know, type of initiative. But when we do something new, we want people and our caregivers to realize it's connected to what we've already done. We're just making something better. It's progressive. It's not new and different and a new flavor. It's it's expanding on what we already are doing well. And Marianne, I'll ask you the same question to chime in. You might have a couple of things that you just want to reiterate that Brian shared. But um, what do you feel most proud of and what do you feel has made the strongest impact when it comes to the cultural initiatives you've been part of at St. Jude? I would say um, we have seven caregiver committees um, that we started several years ago that focus on different aspects of our culture. So um, I'll just run through the names really quick, and I think you'll be able to see the connection to culture. The first is Mission and Culture, and the Culture Design Committee was an offshoot of that committee, and they are the ones that actually designed our cultural compass. So it was designed by our caregivers for our caregivers. And it was created with the intention of taking our mission, vision, and values and putting it into language that was for your daily work. So regardless if you're clinical, non-clinical, on-site, off-site, days, nights, a long-term caregiver or someone who's brand new, you can see yourself in that cultural compass. The second committee is wellness, obviously, connecting to the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Um, Environmental sustainment is a committee that asks our caregivers not only how they can be better environmental um, citizens, but also how St. Jude can be a better environmental citizen. Uh, Rewards and recognitions connected to all of those different recognition programs, and that committee helps to design everything from our quarterly applause celebrations to our annual service award celebration. Community involvement is a group of um, caregivers who come together to decide what community-based organizations they would like to support. So every month we have a different collection, whether it's pajamas for a local children's home, or um, right now we're doing a um, boxes of love for canning hunger. And in addition, we also have a peer advocate and diversity council who not only looks at our um, different policies and how to communicate those or 
um, share new things that are happening, kind of serve as a, a focus group, but also look at how do we represent as an organization the diversity of our community and then Spirit Squad. So going back to Brian's comment related to Embrace the Fun, how do we have a group that comes together for a little bit of respite for our caregivers? So today we're actually having our pumpkin carving contest um, that we have had every year. And um, it's a fun way for departments to be able to come together, do a little team building activity. And then we have um, a voting process that's happening outside in addition to snacks and treats and things like that. But I think the caregiver committee structure has really provided a way for our caregivers to be a part of the organization in a way that's meaningful to them. So one committee does not fit all. You know, some people would have no interest in being part of the spirit squad, but really it's important to them to be a part of a community involvement. And each committee has anywhere from 20 to 60 people on it. And it's an important, I think, um, opportunity again for our caregivers to be involved. I'll add on just one of the other best practices I think we do, and this is just a a simple, you know, change. We don't do all of our ads, all of our posters, our videos, anything that even goes out in commercial, but on our campus, everything is our own employees. We don't use stock photos for almost anything. We, you know, there's maybe a handful of things, but, uh, and caregivers love it. And I remember the day, even for me, several years ago when, you know, oh gosh, if somebody left, we got to go to the expense of replacing it out. You know, it's easier to use stock photos. And and just to change that whole mindset of it's all about the caregivers. And they are so prideful to see their picture on an ad, to see their picture or their in a video, you know, running on TV. We have banners up all over our campus uh, advertising and promoting different accomplishments and awards. And we use caregiver photos for that. Our LCDs that are throughout all of our halls communicating and communicating and communicating, those have employee pictures in them. The Culture Palooza slide deck that did all of the training was employee caregivers were the backdrops. And then our Racial Justice Alliance that we just started with this year with all of the, you know, the demand for for much better awareness and 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 the need to end the racial injustice. We have a Racial Justice Alliance and that one of their first initiatives was putting up banners in our parking lot. So on all the light posts and their pictures, the banners are pictures of our caregivers of all races and quotes from Martin Luther King to Rosa Parks to some of their own quotes. Uh, and we put up 24 of those banners throughout our campus to, to make a, a stance and a, a statement to our community, but also generate pride. There's 70 people that are on that alliance, which is a, you know, a large committee and a large show of support. And they are unbelievable prideful in the work that they're doing and that St. Jude's doing it. So let's wrap with some advice giving. So I get to put you guys on the spot so you can you can wrestle over which question you want here. So for a leader that chose to listen to this podcast attracted to the show title of creating a workplace of pride, like, wow, wow, wouldn't that be amazing to have that? Maybe they're struggling with turnover and a lot of burnout. What's the one thing that you'd tell them to focus on to start to turn a corner? yourselves as an as a leadership team you know it starts with with the leadership you've got to invest not just money but you got to invest time you've got to walk the halls and talk to people uh, i tell our leadership all the time if if rounding is not your favorite part of the day you're doing something wrong another thing that i've shared with folks if you know sit down at a table and and you know take take time to write all of your caregiver initiatives your employee initiatives and if 
you stop writing and, and you're thinking you can't think of things right, or if you only have three or four, you know, then reflect on that. And because you should still be writing after five minutes on the number of things that you've got doing. And then, then since you mentioned the word burnout, um, you know, we, we talk about genuine fatigue versus burnout. You know, burnout's a real thing and we want to take it seriously, but it also is different from fatigue and working hard. And we talk about if we want to be great, we're going to work harder than the average hospital. And by working really hard, we're going to get tired. We're going to be fatigued. But, you know, being fatigued and, and excited to come back to work the next day is different than true burnout. So I would say it starts with the, starts with the leaders and, and make the commitment and be genuine about it. Uh, one of the other things that I use as a metric is how many of your caregivers do but know by name? And even executives are embarrassed sometimes to go around and talk to people and are afraid to introduce themselves because they may not know the caregiver by name or the employee by name. And I'm like, I don't, that's fine. Go out in another couple of days and go out in the week. And, and, you know, you edit when you didn't know 50 people's names, maybe the next time you don't know 30 people's names. And at some point in time, you're going to know almost everybody's names, but those, there's little things to just get over on employee relations and be a relationship-driven organization. My advice would be to really listen to the voice of your caregivers. When we look at our patient experience journey and the times that we have been successful, it's when we've really engaged with our caregivers and involved them in the problem-solving and solution-making process. Um, I love the TED Talk by Celeste Headley where she talks about 10 ways to have a great conversation And one of them is to really, really want to have that conversation, to be interested in what the other person has to say. And I can tell you in our patient experience journey, it's when I've taken the time to hold up my hands and say, you know, I need your help. I need to know from you, where are the areas that we can improve? What ideas do you have? Walk me through the challenges of caring for a patient that, you know, isn't able to get out of bed. Talk to me about, um, you know, the difficulties with helping patients understand their medications and taking those sort of tangible problems that we need to solve, but really allowing them to guide me. Rather, you know, I am not the subject matter expertise, subject matter expert in patient experience. They are. They are the ones who are doing it every day. And for me to be intentionally listening to not just their feedback, but their ideas, their challenges, and creating that forum where they know that they can talk to me about any aspect. And, you know, when Brian talked about knowing caregivers' names, it's knowing their names and knowing their stories and asking them a question or just that next question and then remembering that piece of information. So when you go back to talk to them again, they know that you've really listened to what they had to say. And I think that's something that connection point with them individually, in addition to being able to show them how the work that they're doing every day is connecting to our mission, connecting to our strategic plan, connecting to our pursuit of excellence, and that they can really see themselves as not just a member of the organization, but they are the organization. You guys crushed that advice question. You know, I was thinking of the book. I'm about to ask you for some of your favorite books in a minute, but the book, The Slight Edge, which is like, what's that one thing that you're doing that you're adding to every initiative that's game changing, that's leveling you up? And I, the entire time I've heard you talk about 
inserting like relationship skills, relationship building, you know, where you are cross departmentally celebrating, cross departmentally communicating, storytelling, like, and then just the way that you're pouring into people with, you know, this advice on, you know, if rounding isn't your favorite thing, you're doing something wrong, or how many employees do you know by name, or listen to the ones that are doing it every day. I mean, just very relationship heavy. And that may be like, for those of you that might be listening, that's like, gosh, what are we doing wrong? The time that we take to listen, the time that we take to just, you know, be close with people while they're working and spending time with them is just just a true game changer. So it's been a joy to be on this with you today. I think you're going to inspire lots of our listeners. We're going to take a quick break, hear from our sponsor message today, and we'll come back to what we call our lightning round, where we'll spend like two minutes getting to know you both just a little bit better. So we'll be right back. So in our efforts to launch this healthcare sub-series on Gut Plus Science, my why is Wambi. Wambi specializes in serving the industry that needs the most support, love, and gratitude, and that's healthcare. Together with Wambi, we will be building a community of people-first healthcare leaders and influencers to make a big positive impact on patient satisfaction and overall experience of patients and families, and also engagement of the very valuable healthcare workers in this world. So visit Wambi.org to learn more and hit me up. If you want to talk about the cool partnerships we're working on at Wambi, Nikki and I, K-K-I at Wambi, W-A-M-B-I.org. It'll be in the show notes too. And I am so grateful to be part of this team and part of this movement. Many cool things to come. All right. It's Nikki. We're back on Gut Plus Science Healthcare. Uh, today, I am with Brian Helleland and Marianne Perez. We've had a great conversation and now it's time to get to know them just a little bit better uh, with our you know, key questions that we ask on every episode. So guys, I get to put you on the spot again. What's your favorite book of all time? Pick one or maybe a favorite recent read, but we're going to add you to our recommended reading list. I'll do uh, two of my favorites. They're they're more recent. Uh, one, the most recent I've done is Radical Candor uh, by Kim Scott. And then one a little bit longer, but I still reference and I still use in mentoring is uh, The Mentor Leader by with Tony Dungy. For me, a recent read um, that I really enjoyed was uh, No Happy Endings by Nora McInerney. She's a podcast host of Terrible Thanks for Asking. All right. And how about a favorite vacation spot? I'll do quick. I'll say International Italy or the Malfi Coast specifically and the uh, United States. I love North Carolina. I've only been once, but I can't wait to go back and it's Spain. All right. How about a hobby when you're not working? I um, actually really enjoy going for walks with my husband. I like wine and collecting wine is probably one. Uh, you know, kid time uh, is always a great hobby. But I'm a I'm a sports I'm a sports guy, so fantasy football is is also up there. Thanks, guys, so much. How can our listeners connect with you after the show today? Uh, email for me is is great, but we do have you know our website uh, is uh, uh, Saint Jude Medical Center is is a way to they all they always get to to me uh, as well. I would say they can actually email me at Saint Jude Pride at stjoe.org or look for me on LinkedIn, Marianne Perez. All right, for our truth you can act on today, oh, so many great takeaways, especially having two culture evangelists on this show that have so much. There's so much in the show. You probably have to listen to it like five times, but here's some key takeaways. Number one, own the terminology of culture initiatives loudly. 
For example, everyone knows the St. Jude Pride campaign, and there are various ways to engage and show pride as a representative of the organization. Number two, tell stories of good org-wide. Always telling stories of good. Celebrate and learn together cross-departmentally. Sharing stories cross-departmentally. Celebrating cross-departmentally. Number three, focus on being very human-centered in your communications, trainings, daily routines, etc. And as a leader, test yourself regularly on how many employees you know and call by name. That is a great example of being very human-centered. Calling, knowing names of all employees as best you can. Uh, Figure out any tricks you can. Do a little research. Always get better at this. It makes such a difference. Number four, and I'm going to leave you with this as a quote from Brian. If rounding isn't your favorite thing, you're doing something wrong. Well, that's a wrap. Great episode. Listeners, keep submitting amazing leaders to Gut Plus Science, sharing their stories to empower and inspire other leaders is a world changer. Thanks for being part of this. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.